Welcome back, Brown Girls. Ashanti here, the founder of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics. And today we're chatting with Latasha Brown, one of the co-founders of the Black Voters Matter Fund. If you're a regular cable news watcher, then you may have seen Latasha on your TV screen talking about the importance of voter education and mobilization in communities of color. Latasha and I chat about why Black Voters Matter Fund was created and the importance of protecting the right to vote ahead of the 2020 election. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So thank you for joining us and let's get started by having you tell us what drew you to get involved in nonprofit work because you have this really amazing strong career that's rooted in community service. You know, I am, I'm a native of Alabama. My family um, was a working class black family um, down in Mobile, Alabama. And, you know, what I I have always been drawn to um, is the ability to help people. Like I always, even as a child, I like helping people um, and I like seeing people get help as, as well. And so my family while they weren't necessarily like in nonprofit, I saw them give. I would see my mother would literally give the shirt off her back. I would see, um, I would just see how they would serve in the community just as, as regular working class people. And so I always was kind of drawn to that, you know? And so as I got older and went to school, went to, went off to college, what I thought was that I wanted to be a big time corporate attorney, that I've always been drawn to people Two, I've always had this desire to help people, and I love helping people. Um, and then three, I I knew that there, it felt like there was some kind of call, there was something that was pulling me towards like service that that felt very real for me that made me feel like I was really in alignment with something greater than myself. And so the best place that I found where I could serve in that particular way was in the nonprofit. And I knew that I wanted to be in a space with other people, you know, that also were helping people. And so the the path that, you know, just kind of opened itself, uh, made itself available to me was in the nonprofit sector. That's really amazing. So when you said you wanted to be an attorney, I actually chuckled to myself because that's always what I thought I wanted to be too. Even as a young girl saying, oh, I'm going to be an attorney. I'm going to be a lawyer because it was a way to help people. And I had never really considered politics as an opportunity to help people. And I'm just blessed to be able to do the work that I do now professionally. And right now you are one of the biggest leaders in the social justice movement. Absolutely. You know, I think sometimes, you know, I heard Michelle um, Obama say this because she also talked about how, you know, growing up, that's what she would say. I wanted to, I want to be a lawyer. And then as we know, she went off to law school and graduated at one of the top law schools in, in the world and um, and said that once she started practicing law, she realized she hated it. She realized she had never really thought about what that meant, other than when she said she wanted to be a lawyer, she got kind of this affirmation from the people around her. And so I think, you know, in our communities, there's certain um, there's certain professions that carry a certain amount of respect and admiration. And oftentimes, we're you know, as a as young people, you know, those of us who are really, you know, I mean, I think part of me saying that I want to be an attorney um, came from I'm hearing that that's a good thing to be. Right. And that's what we serve. But I think another part of it is, you know, in many ways, I do exactly what attorneys do. I advocate for justice. And so ultimately, it looks a little bit different than what I expected to do. But the things that actually draw me um, to this idea of being an attorney 
I'm actually able to actualize that in different ways in the work that I do through my social justice and, and political organizing work. You co-founded Black Voters Matter Fund in 2016, which we all know was definitely a turning point for many, and it has absolutely reshaped our democracy. And there are those of us who are already involved, but we saw lots of fellow Americans get up and become even more involved. For you, what exactly was it about the days after the 2016 election that made you say, I had to do this for our community? You know, I think we had, what was interesting is that we started um, Black Voters Matter Fund, um, Cliff and I, who's the other co-founder, before the 2016 election. We got involved in the 2016 election, and I think the results of the election kind of crystallized why our work was important. I've done, I've worked on every social justice issue um, that you can probably name, from issues dealing with voting rights to youth advocacy work, to criminal justice reform, to felony um, reenfranchisement, um, to healthcare access, I mean, you name it. You know, I always wanted to be in the space to really help shape and influence the conditions, influence the policy that will like make the conditions better for our community and our people. And so when we started Black Voters Matter Fund, our goal was how can we, we ask ourselves this question, Based on our years of experience in philanthropy, in political organizing, as political strategists and operatives, and as people who are deeply committed to the liberation of our people, what is it that we can do? And 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 it was out of that kind of thinking and that question that we created Black Voters Matter Fund, and and to be an answer to what we felt is that one of the ways that we can contribute is to help support the building of grassroots Black-led infrastructure, and that there was a need for that. Black people had a need to be resourced and connected and supported on the grassroots levels so that they could actually start you know, building power for themselves and have the support as they're building power for themselves. And so you know, I think after the 2016 election, when we saw this openly racist, fascist president coming to office, I think it crystallized it for us around how critical our work was and how critical the timing was, because I think there's a particular fragility in American democracy, you know, that people had not seen that we, that Cliff and I, in our work, we talked about often, we, we knew this, particularly those of us who have been doing this kind of work. Um, and particularly when you're doing it in the, in the, in the deep South, but, you know, we saw what happened. We knew what would happen when the voting rights act was stripped in section five, was taken out, we knew we would see these results of broad scale voter suppression. And we knew what that meant for us. And then we start seeing this president who was aligned with this white nationalist agenda. We know what the repercussions are on our community. And so what I think what 2016 did for us, it just kind of accelerated our need to really scale our work up. Um, and it crystallized for me, it crystallized for me how important that our work is. And so, you know, 2016, I see it as a continuation of the work, the, the liberation and empowerment work that we've been doing for our power building work we've been doing for our community for the last 20 years. Cliff and I love to say that part of we created this organization that brought all these pieces together like a puzzle um, of different parts of our work. But the truth of the matter is the seeds for Black Voters Matter Fund were really planted more than 20 years ago. It's just the timing, the opportunity, and just our idea in terms of bringing those pieces together 
so that we could provide resources for grassroots groups, that we could build a network of organizations that could share information, that we really could start with a conversation around how do we build power and not about who is the candidate or what the party is going to do, but really the question um, centered around what is it that we want to be want to have done in our community and what is it that we want um, and so it was like a culmination it was just like the perfect storm um, right after 2016 that we literally just threw ourselves into the work to scale up uh, what we were doing that's great and i love that one of the things you said about how the 2016 election showed us how fragile democracy is is because that's something i immediately said when people started asking me what i thought about the election results and i said this lets us know that our country can take a turn like all of these other countries that we see across the world and that you have to be really vigilant and that's why it's so important that we see the work that black voters matters fund is doing and you also mentioned the Voting Rights Act, and we're about to enter another presidential election cycle without the full protection of the Voting Rights Act. And we know that severely impacts people of color, college students, and senior citizens. So what are some of the efforts that your group is going to be undertaking around this? And what are some of the things that we can do as citizens to protect our right to vote? Thank you for asking that question. You know, I am I'm actually leading a course um, at Harvard this semester. It's entitled We the People, and it's political organizing for a more equitable, just, and inclusive America. And I think we've got to we've got to re we've got to reassess where we are. I think we're in a pol particular political moment in this country that you know it's not a matter of I think there's some people that feel you know if you got the right Democratic candidate in office as president then we'll go back to normal. There is no normal. What normal? Right. And it's certainly not been normal for black people. And when we see kind of this increased public murders, state sanctioned murders um, um, of our people at the hands of law enforcement and, and you don't see the, the, the repercussions of that. Right. When we're seeing the, this the wealth gap between black people, the black community and our white counterparts, when you see that steadily rising, when you see people are working two, three jobs and still can't make ends meet, we've got to have an honest conversation about where America is, where we want it to be, and where we're going to make sure that we take it. And so I think that that's different than the conversations that we've been having. I think we've been having these conversations that feel like ping pong. It's like, you know, it's the Republicans or it's the Democrats. It's Republicans or the Democrats. It's so much greater and bigger than them. This is really, and that's why part of our campaign work is around, it's about us. And so the, the, there's a couple of things that I think it's important for us to think about and what people can do. One, we have, you know, just starting from the basis of talking about democracy, we need to have more conversations about what is democracy and what does true democracy look like? It is my belief that we've never achieved full democracy in this country. There's been elements of it and certainly there's been progress made, but we've not seen the kind of democracy that's even spoken of in the Constitution. And so I think that what we have to do is even push it. This is a moment. I, I This is like I, my mantra these days. I believe we need radical revolutionary reimagining of America. What could America be that was inclusive and was equitable? Right. And so what does and was fit and just. 
and we've got to work towards bringing that to be, bringing that to pass. That means a couple of things. One, in order to have a healthy democracy, you need citizens to participate. The fact that over 45% of the citizens of this country don't even bother to vote, that in itself is an issue. But guess what? I understand why. Instead of us saying, oh, it's something wrong with their and their fault, the, the truth of the matter is many of them are turned off from the process because they don't feel like the, that that politics is transparent. They don't see how it's helping their everyday lives. And oftentimes people are doing this kind of work, just kind of dismiss you know, what they're feeling. We don't do that. We actually, every community we work in, the first thing we do is we have listening sessions. We listen and we listen to not just the ones that saying, yeah, let's go vote, but we're particularly want to hear from those who've been turned off from this process because we think that that's how a true democracy is going to develop when we are encouraging folks not to think that the vote is more important than them, but for them to think about agency, for them to feel a feeling of self-agency that is important that if any decisions are going to be made about me, that I need to be making those decisions. That's a shift than what we normally see in politics, because in politics, we normally see it is literally around the candidate or the party. It's something outside of ourselves. And even sometimes the way we talk to people about voting, you know, I hate this phrase that says, if you don't vote, you don't count. I mean, I, I think that's ridiculous to say. I think a human being, the very nature that you are a human being, that in fact you have value and you count. It is not the vote that brings you the value. What the vote allows, though, the vote allows you to express your voice. The vote actually helps you get agency, express your agency for harm reduction in our community, to help be a part of the process of selecting those who say that they represent our community. That's why it's important. And so I think one of the things that we can do is, one, we've got to start having these real conversations that are rooted in what people are feeling in their day-to-day lives, how are we going to shift and create a new America that is going to be inclusive, that is going to be equitable, that is going to be fair. I think that uh, another thing that we can do as we're looking at this 2020 election cycle is every single person should have a political home. I don't care what organization that is. This is not the time to sit back and say, oh, we're just going to let things work it out. I mean, how is that working for us? Right. I think it's really important that at this moment that we need every single person to find a political home. It can be a civic organization. It can be a group like mine. It can be a nonprofit, wherever that is. But you need to be connected to a space that literally you are in collective conversation with other people who are working to build power or at the very least that are working to educate ourselves on how do we really create the democracy we deserve. The third thing that I think is really important since we're in kind of this 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 moment is that the work costs money. And so there's everybody is not going to go and, and knock on doors. Everybody is not going to go to the rally. That's not what they do. And that's OK. But you can write a check. You know, we will turn over $10, a month every month to Netflix and and those places to get entertainment. I'm one. I mean, I've got those subscriptions, right? But what can be a greater value than really investing in our own liberation, investing in democracy? And so I think that it's really important that, um, that every person 
finds, whether it's $5 a month or $500 a month, but you're actually investing in the groups and the organizations that are literally doing work to not only protect democracy, but expand democracy. And then the fourth and the last thing that I'll say is, you know, I oftentimes when we're talking about America, we're talking about democracy, you know, we usually always go back to the safe position to say, well, you know, what were the four founders thinking? What was the four founders, what they wanted? What I would say is that what... Do, I'm often like challenged with this idea. Do we think that the four founders of the country who were a small group of white, wealthy landowners thought about every thought that could be thunk about democracy? Of course we know they couldn't have. And this was over 300 years ago. I think it's really important for us to really take it to the next level. We're at an evolution point. We can either go backwards or we can go forward. I'm committed to taking America forward. And so I think we need to spend more time being innovative being, and using our imagination to really start reimagining an America where there is a more equitable redistribution of the wealth, an America where we are literally creating the kind of world that we deserve and that we desire, and not just constantly responding to what is, but really pushing the envelope so that we can actually become something greater. I believe that America has to be and can be greater. That's powerful. And you hit on so many important things just now, especially when you talk about going out to be in the community. And we all know that so many people feel that their voices and their votes don't matter, especially young people. So what advice do you have for our listeners when they encounter people who are still just so discouraged about politics and they're not interested in voting? They don't want to find a political home. They don't want to make a donation. What are you saying to these people that you meet? kind of three big things, um, points of advice. First advice is listen. The second advice is listen. The third advice is listen. Listen, listen, listen. And I know that sounds very um, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But most of the time people don't listen to folks. We don't listen to what they're saying. Oftentimes people are not saying so much that, okay, I'm just anti-voting, right? Up underneath that, what are they really saying? If they're saying that I don't vote or I'm not, I don't want to vote, what are they really saying? Do we take the time enough to really listen to get to the core of the issue? If you get to the core of the issue, you will find out that most people are not voting because they don't see their own power in that process. Most people are not voting because they don't believe that in their voting that they can act, it has any kind of material impact on their life. What I have found that has been effective um, in our work, you know, is that having people feel a sense of their own agency. And so when they're saying that they don't vote um, or they're not going to vote because they don't believe in the system, instead of arguing with them or pushing back, it may serve you to listen to them and to hear really what they're saying and then literally go into conversation with them to really determine what is it that you care about? And oftentimes when you get to a point of mutual interest where they're revealing what they care about and you can actually show them, you can actually talk to them in a process that helps them understand how voting connects to them demonstrating their own agency and how voting is really about them and not anybody else and how voting is a tool, being honest with them, that voting is not the end all, is not the be all. It is a tool that at the very least can help with harm reduction. I have had very 
great success. And when I am talking uh, with folks who have had this posture, this suspicion, and are not really interested in voting, that when I'm having a conversation where I center listening, that I'm actually listening, not just at them at that moment, um, but really hearing what they are saying about their concerns and what it is they care about, and really feeling like making the connection of what they care about, and and oftentimes helping them to see how voting maybe is connected, that everything in our lives is connected to politics. Whether we like politics or not, you know, that's one thing. But the fact of the matter is every single thing in our lives is in some ways connected to politics from that, the quality of the air we breathe to what hospitals are open to what schools have, what resources. And I think part of what happens is we have these surface conversations with people about voting and not and not spend the time to really hear about what they're concerned about and help them to make the connection around how they have a power to really impact um, impact those things that they have concern around, right? And also to affirm that when they're saying this doesn't work, this person isn't responding, then it, you can affirm that and actually say, that's why we need you. That's why we need more people, not just to vote, but we need different people to run. We need people to have ideas on what change can happen. And so I think part of what is really important um, and what has worked really well as part of our work is that we don't stop at the space of voting. Oftentimes, that's not even where we start, right? That we see voting as not an end in itself, but as a means to an end. What I think that people more connect to greater is a better vision for themselves and their lives, right? And being able to see a legitimate path towards getting to that vision. And so being honest about the limitations of voting, but also helping them to understand the power of voting, I think is an effective tool of getting people to really think about how they engage in this process. Everything relates back to politics, and so many people forget that. Everything. I mean, there's nothing, there's no decision. You can't even die and it's not connected in politics because when you die and or your family has to go and get a, a certificate of your death, you know, um, um, to, to, to give to the insurance companies, right? You know, my, my point, there is nothing. The way that society is organized, there is no element area in society that is not connected to politics. And so I think that people really don't understand kind of the workings of that. But I also think that we're not speaking to where people, that people's sense of disappointment is real. That's not made up and letting them know you're not crazy. What you feel, I feel that often, right? But I also am committed to changing my community and I'm committed to using every single tool that is available to actually help and reduce the harm and the pain in my community. And I see voting as one too. When we express that to people, you know, we have had much more success in being in engaged with them for them uh, to see that we're authentic and our interest more than voting, that we care about them. Because the reason why we named our organization Black Voters Matter and not Black Votes Matter is because there's a whole bunch of people that cares care about Black votes, but don't care about Black voters. And so what we care about and we center is that it's not the politics, it's not the parties, it's the people. The people are the value. People change systems. People create governments. 
people make change. And so if we want to see a better America, then then we've got to be all hands on deck and we've got to uh, we've got to work every single angle that is available for us to shift and create this vision, this radical reimagining of this America that I speak of. There are so many brown girls who are listening right now who want to do what you're doing. They want to reshape America. So what advice do you have for the brown girls that are listening saying, I want to be just like her? Brown girls, I want, well, the first thing is I want you to be you. I want the brown, all the brown girls out there that are listening to know that you are powerful. And I am convinced that we are going to change the world. I am convinced. I am convinced that black women Um, Brown girls, we are going to shift the world. I think that our experience um, in dealing in gender, some of our experience and struggle in terms of dealing in with race that we have shown, right, that we have shown that the that. We, that the world needs us. It needs our voice. It needs our honesty. It needs our authentic walk through this world. You know, and I think that I just want to encourage that this is the moment. I think that there are particular kind of moments in time. I think that this is a particular moment for brown girls. I think this is a particular moment. The world needs us more, more than they've ever needed us before. We need us. Our community needs us. So what does that mean? That means a couple of things. One, that means brown girls, we got to step it up so We've got to step our game up. That means that we've got to lead. We can no longer be be delegated to taking the back seat to anybody, to our white counterparts, to our male counterparts. It is our moment to shine. And in doing so, what that means, that means that we've got to lead in the way that we know that we lead best. We lead in, in a way that we bring our community along. Most of the women in my life They never advocate to the table by themselves. Most of the opportunities that I've received has come from other brown girls creating a space for me. And so I think we can continue to do that. I think one, brown girls, we need to create opportunities, not just for ourselves, but for other brown girls. I also think that we need to read and know our history. We need to know the Fannie Lou Hamers and the Harriet Tubmans and the Sojourner Truths. Yeah, we know their names and we and maybe on um, Black History Month, we're like, yeah, yeah, I know them. But do we really know their history and their struggle? And do we know their story? I think there's a lot of strength. I know when I read um, read stories about women before me and what they endured, that that in itself has been powerful, powerful for me. The other thing I think is really important to find a mentor. I don't care if you are 14, if you 40 or if you 60, there is some woman that has already walked this walk before you that can be an asset to you that can actually help be create, bring wisdom in your life and even be a protection mechanism for you. And I also think that every brown girl needs a young woman or someone that is younger than you that you are mentoring so that you are, it's almost like you're flanked. You're flanked, um, you've got you've got a mentor and you've got a mentee. And so I think surrounding yourselves with people who have the, the kind of energy that you want to be around, the kind of people that you actually like draw your strength from, the kind of people that you're going to learn from, I think that makes the difference. And then the, the last thing I'll say is brown girls dream dream. You know, there is a, um, I'm part of, I'm really part of one of my projects I'm most excited about is 
um, the Southern Black Girls and Women's Consortium. And our question of our work is, what is a Black girl's dream? So I'm going to say to the brown girls out there that part of everything that I'm doing in my work is part of a vision of years of, of what if one day we're able to move resources? What if one day we're able to help groups on the ground? And so I had to cultivate that dream when other people told me that it wouldn't work or it didn't happen when it didn't happen fast enough. But in my heart, I knew this was something that I wanted to do. And when the opportunity came, I was ready. So I'm asking you, don't let the world make up, um, have you just a dream small dream, dream big, dream often, dream with others. Yes. Shine, lead, dream. That's great. And that's something Congresswoman Ayanna Presley says all the time, too. She's like, yes, there's a lot of crazy going on in the world, but I still find my joy. All right. That's that's what it and then have some fun with it. Stay up to date with us on the BGG website in between episodes at www.thebgguide.com and on our social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at The BG Guide. The Brown Girls Guide to Politics podcast is produced by Wonder Media Network. You can find them on Instagram at WMN.media and on Twitter at WMN Media. Until next time, Brown Girls. Are you exhausted from trying to do everything perfectly? Do you hold yourself back because you're scared of failure? Then I want to tell you about a podcast you should be tuning into. You can break away from the cult of perfection by subscribing and listening to the award-winning Brave Not Perfect podcast. It's hosted by Reshma Sajani. She's the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code and author of the international bestseller, Brave Not Perfect. Her TED talk about teaching girls bravery instead of perfection has over 5 million views. Join Reshma as she shares her secrets about bravery and success because she wants to help you fear less, fail more, and live bolder. She'll even answer your questions and give you tips about how you can get a little braver every day. Plus, she has revealing conversations with other changemakers about their complex journeys and what we can take from them to improve our own lives. Tune in to Brave Not Perfect with Reshma Sujani. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now.